0: You're listening to The Big Data Beard.
1: Welcome to The Big Data Beard podcast. I'm Brett Roberts, and with me is my buddy Kyle Prins. And I am super excited to be introducing Season 7 of The Big Data Beard podcast. You know, Kyle, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus this year. It's been a, a, little big, bit. a few months off. Yeah, a few months <laughs> yeah. off just to... Um, we're working on some really cool things, actually. Like, I think there's some st- really cool stuff coming uh, in the next couple months that uh, we're excited to share with you. But we've been focusing on that. But it's time to kick off season seven of the Big Data Beard podcast. And I really couldn't think of a better guest than our good buddy, Dean Jackson. You know, Dean's been a Big Data Beard contributor for years now, uh, he is a Splunk guru and he works for Splunk. And what we're going to have him join us today for is to talk about his other passion, which is smart homes and the, the whole internet of things in the household. So uh, Dean, welcome to the Big Data Beer podcast.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me. i really pleased to be here and look forward to having, having this chat.
1: Yeah, I am as well. I've been actually looking forward to this all week. Uh, obviously, we all have some uh, some passions around smart homes, and I've learned a lot from you personally. So it's it's fun to uh, be able to pick your brain, but also to record a podcast while doing that. Um, why don't we start off? Just do me a favor. Can you introduce yourself to the audience?
0: Yeah, uh, no worries. Uh, so Dean Jackson, I am uh a self-proclaimed canalsi uh, so canadian-born but uh, living uh, down under so i've been here about 10 years now in australia um, split my time between sydney and now in sunny brisbane um, so you know been at splunk three years um, i'm very passionate about that and um, the other big passion as you said is um, anything uh, technical toys to play with at home I have a big closet full of too many electronic things that you're gonna hear about um, so it ties nicely into to, to my day job so um, that's a little bit about myself
1: now have you trademarked that term yet uh, for a t-shirt or can we can we make a t-shirt about that because i think it's a uh, I think good. We sh- kenazi
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a big data beard yeah
0: yeah I, th- I, th- I think we should um the other term i use uh, is climate refugee so um <laughs> 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 so like you know it's the the canadian winters just can't do it anymore so um yeah, you know yeah, winters yeah. Winter's day here in Brisbane is around 22 to 24 Celsius, so it's pretty nice.
2: <laughs> yeah, you've really hit the extremes there with Canadian winters and now Queensland summers, man. Uh, <laughs> there's no midpoint for you, is there?
0: I have a great story on Queensland summers and technology. Awesome. Let's hear it. Okay, we'll get right into it then. Um, yeah. So, uh, my, you know, I moved up here in Brisbane a couple of years ago, uh, moved in uh Nice house up here, and I had this beautiful little server room in my garage. Like, I guess it was meant for a storage room, but of course it became a server room. Has a power panel in it, and um, you know the cable TV comes in for the broadband and all that stuff. So it's got all the ne- necessary bits for uh, uh, mm-hmm. a little mini data center. So it's about two square meters. Um, it gets here in Brisbane. It gets around. 35 Celsius in summer with 70 to 90% humidity. So it's pretty pretty full on tropical. You can imagine a, a room full of uh, electronic technology sitting in my <laughs> garage, the temperature. Well, last summer uh, I had an overheat event. Um, so um, I had the door open, had some fans going, but it's still overheated and I lost, I lost my firewall. Um, I lost my Synology NAS. Uh, oh man to heat uh so um kudos to synology um I'll, I'll plug them a bit uh it overheated they replaced the nas i moved the drives over and it all came back online <laughs> like wow. all the data was there yeah, so awesome. I mean, yeah that was like uh 10 terabytes of data in there so um so yeah um so basically um I've got a reverse cycle aircon unit going in that room this Friday. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it's a, a daycon unit. Uh, of course, it's got, uh, which will lead in probably the next topic, it's got Wi-Fi control with an API on it. Um, so um, it will link in to... Obviously, it's got its own thermostat on it, um, but I've got some uh, temperature sensors in the computer room that I'll be able to Mm -hmm. externally monitor the temperature of the room and humidity outside of the aircon unit um, to do things like alerting and possibly automation of shutting down things the next go-around. So if I have an issue i.e. um, maybe the aircon unit has an issue, then I can uh, proactively shut things down to stop those overheat events. By the way, um, the Synology NAS, I looked at the smart, uh, statistics of the drives and the internal drive temperatures hit like seventy or eighty Celsius. Oh. Whoa!
1: <laughs> so that's funny because I actually um, I, I have my NAS connected to my my smart home right now with some alerts if it, if the temperature gets to a certain part, but not even close to seventy or eighty Celsius. That's kind of crazy. <laughs>
2: just heads uh, up, Americans: the eighty Celsius is like one hundred and seventy five Fahrenheit. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just a cooking. tad,
1: just a tad warm there. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a perfect segue because. the these are some of the use cases that are extremely uh, important to building out a smart home or, you know, having a con- connected home that actually provides real world use cases to protect and to, to make your life better. So why don't we just start off by talking a little bit about how you got into the world of the smart home?
0: Yeah, well, part of it's just that that tinkering type of um you know love of technology and things and building things so you know that that really got me into it um you know i was i was a kid who grew up with lego and, and building things so anyone who loves lego probably loves this type of stuff um so you know like anyone um just starting with the first little bits and then you kind of get addicted to it so i started with a few smart outlets uh, some of the mm-hmm. wi-fi based ones quickly learned that um you know they weren't the right solution and my wi-fi network was a serious bottleneck and issue for for home automation but that's basically you know sort of where i started uh, and then as as and i know you know this brett um because of your recent activities um <laughs> uh, it quickly spirals out of control
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i also feel that uh Quarantine coupled with the uh, ability to deliver in two days really uh, does make that paycheck go a lot quicker than you had hoped
2: it would. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what was your what was your first use case for those for those uh, switches? Was it like were you trying to be cheeky with some sort of design, or were you thinking safety, or what? What was kind of the sparking event that you went? Ah, I, I could solve this with home automation.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's a very simple use case, but very important one. Christmas yeah. tree.
2: <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. That was the same thing we did, too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right, think Everybody right. starts there. Yeah. I needed that Christmas yep. tree to go on, you know, mm-hmm. just around dinner time go off from yeah. 11 PM at night and there's no sense having it on all night and uh, mm-hmm. then expand it to the exterior Christmas lights so that, you know, <laughs> they're on yeah, and it just keeps going from there. And then you start looking at, well, Oh, I get energy data out of this. Right. And probably not mm. that useful for <laughs> Christmas lights, but then you think, Oh, maybe, you know, I got a portable air unit. I plug it into one or, you know, whatever to see, you know, what, what draw and then that just literally uh, no pun intended, Draws you in uh, hey. more. <laughs> so um, then, yeah, so like on that one, I'll, I'll go on a tangent here. I just bought, um, and I think we chatted about this previously, Brett, um, IOTA Watts. Um, they're basically little right. um, home energy monitors, but they use current transformers, uh, so mm-hmm. CTs. Um, each one supports, I think, 14 channels. Um, so basically, a little box. You plug in the current transformers, uh, which go around power leads. So you can put in your power panel. Um, disclaimer: Don't play in your power panel unless you're an electrician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyways, uh, the current transformers go around the power leads uh, because here in Australia we use a lot of three phase. It supports three phase as well. You just use three, you know, CTs instead of one. So the use case there is obviously high draw uh, circuits in the home. So like I have a. Uh, Tesla Model 3. It's got a wall charger. That wall charger is not a smart wall charger, meaning it doesn't expose data. This will expose the data. So three CTs over the three power leads uh, to the wall charger, I'll be able to get that. So that's a work in progress.
2: Uh, So you've you've basically then expanded that first use case, or I would say your use case two of like, hey, I want to see how much energy I can pull, but you've expanded this now to your whole home. Would, would you yeah. agree with that?
0: Yeah. 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 So basically the idea there is to try and see where the energy is going in my home uh, to try and use it more intelligently. So like I've got, uh, it's almost 15 kilowatts of solar panels in the roof. So I want to use that data as well as or sorry that energy as well as i can right obviously pushing into the grid is a good thing in terms of of you know feeding green energy back into the grid but from a a dollar sense it's better for me to use that energy than to sell it um if i need it rather than buying it later so you know charging obviously charging the car during the day and looking at when you know where the power is going to you know it's pretty straightforward a lot of stuff but it's really nice to have the data um yeah Super yeah.
2: Small tweaks to optimize, yeah, totally get it. Yep, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Now, so I,
1: so, uh, yeah, so it, it seems like you obviously started small, started to grow a little bit. When did you start actually trying to turn just one or two devices or, or one or two use cases into a whole connected hub, and, and kind of what was that first? technology that you Mm. use to kind of connect all of the different devices? Because I know there's a lot of different things on the market out there. But what was the first one that you used?
0: Well, I'll start with the low-level stuff first. There's two sides of that coin, right? The first side of the coin is is your network, right? Um, So, like I said, with the Wi-Fi switches, I quickly found out that a robust, reliable fast wi-fi network is key to any home automation system Mm -hmm. um so you know i was just using one or two access points um you know at the time i switched to a meshed system um at that time Uh, i chose uh, ubiquity with the unify system there's lots of them out there to choose from that are great Uh, i choose that one i chose that one because it, it it was closest to an enterprise like system. uh, So I had lots of knobs and buttons to turn, um, and has some pretty amazing hardware. So that's another addiction in itself. Right. So like I quickly went from a couple access points to 11. Um, so
1: (laughs) I've done the same thing. I, uh, I bought the I've been expanding my Google Wi-Fi mesh network yep. and then all of a sudden decided to upgrade to the Google Nest. So now in my 1400 square foot apartment I have uh, well eight pucks for Google. So um, you're welcome Google. But yeah, no I'm with you. <laughs> that is an obsession in itself.
0: Yeah. So uh, have so having that that solid meshed Wi-Fi network and the other tip that I that I would have to give is don't use it when you don't have to use it, right? There's you have to realize there's there's a minimum Amount of spectrum there, right? Especially in in the the, the legacy ones, like the two point four gigahertz. If you don't have to run something on Wi Fi, don't do it, right? Cable it. Um, Sonos, um, you know, I'm a big Sonos user, right? Wherever I can, I Ethernet cable a Sonos speaker, right? Um, it's just better experience. Um, and I have another funny story on that one. I think I told Kyle this one. Um, I bought a. Um, and, and this is a good tip for anyone who uses Sonos, bought a brand new Sonos Beam, which is like the uh, the speaker front of the TV, plugged it in, works awesome. And I quickly plugged it into Ethernet because I thought there's an Ethernet mm-hmm. jack behind it, might as well. What I didn't do is disable the Wi-Fi on the Beam. What I didn't know about Sonos is that if you leave the Wi-Fi enabled on, and plug in an Ethernet uh, cable, it, basically creates something called sonos net so it creates its own it becomes a gateway for its own network okay. and then tries to join to other sonos speakers over Ooh. its own wi-fi network that was all fine until i plugged my second sonos speaker in over ethernet when i did that about 10 five to 10 minutes later my whole network just came down like horribly slow like you know, my wife was working from home, complaining, "What's going on? Like things kind of work, but they don't." Classic uh, routing issue. Um, mm-hmm. What 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 l- happened that I found out after is when I plugged in the second Sonos speaker, uh, it created a loop in the network. Um, so the Sonos net looped around with my Unify network. Uh, the spanning tree protocol wasn't set up right. I really wasn't using spanning tree, um, and created a loop. So. That's what happens when you get a loop in your network. Uh, so yeah, that was a learning experience.
2: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, <laughs> now you've you you're a big proponent of Home Assistant
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: as a hub. Uh, can you share a bit around um, y- your experience with that and a couple of the parts that you really love about it, and maybe some yep. use cases where it's really yep. shown through? Yeah, let's yeah, actually so just
1: kick off. Can you explain what Home Assistant is because I don't think everyone uh in our yeah. audience is familiar with this.
0: Yeah, let's start with that too. Yeah, yeah. So, what a Home Assistant is um I probably won't do it. The best justification, but I'll explain what I think it is. It's basically a abstraction layer to all your smart devices in your home. So, you know, instead of having all those different interfaces and controls and and, and things like that, uh, it basically sits above all that technology has connectors and allows you to abstract it all. Right? It's it's open source. So this is one of the reasons why I chose it. Is um, it is open source. Um, I felt that having a more open platform and not a vendor focused solution, there's obviously other solutions that do similar things, but might be more focused from, you know, a certain vendor. Um, This is a community driven. So I figured the support will be better. Um, I just loved how it works. You know, it's um, very simple configuration files, lots of development, and literally, there's a component, uh, a component in Home Assistant it is basically like a connector or a module for almost anything you can think of that in the home automation space. You know, it's it's pretty much all there. You know, obviously, brand new stuff wouldn't be there yet, but people are asking about it, so it's very mm-hmm. popular and very well maintained. So that's probably the biggest reason why I chose it. Um, and I've stuck with it. I've been using it for uh, maybe five, six years now, quite a long time. Um, um, I don't don't remember exactly when I put it in, but um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. Like, and I've got some tips for a home assistant. Um, Like uh, here's another story. And I think I told you guys this one before I initially started running it on a Raspberry Pi. um, Mm -hmm. And not being negative to pies, they're awesome pieces of technology, but running your home automation platform on it, it's probably not the best idea.
1: Not the best idea, no.
0: Um, so what I found is I after I don't know how long it was, a month or two, I burnt out the SD card on my Pi. So it ran fine, but the SD card just failed. And silly me, of course hadn't backed it up and all that goodness that i built just was gone (laughs) so
1: yeah yeah i did that too
0: (laughs) that happened to me (laughs) about three weeks ago buddy yeah so um so yeah so no pies uh obviously there's solutions for pies like you put a hat on it and put for an m2 card but i went down the road of intel nuc you know it's still cost effective platform but can put an m2 proper ssd in it and that's the other tip i would give is run it uh i've chose chose to run my home assistant controller in its own dedicated hardware. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it, it requires it. It's not like it's an expensive piece of hardware um, and then run it as simple as possible. Um, so uh, I run in Docker. Um, so it's easy to upgrade and, you know, push off the data onto the Synology. Um, you can push your, push your config files up to a, a Git repo, um, you know, those types of things uh, just to make it, make it, consistent. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. No, it's funny. I, I actually, uh, the story, I'm laughing because, well, first of all, I blame Kyle for getting me into home assistant. He told me about it a few months ago. and I, have I learned dedica- about it
2: from Dean. Yes, yeah, so I blame both of <laughs> you.
1: And I've dedicated a good amount of my time, um, more than I care to admit, uh, to to home assistant and, and to tinkering with, which I think it's awesome. I, I agree with you. Everything you said, Dean, it's the same reason why I, I like it. Uh, but you did, you did tell me, you warned me not to not to uh, put it, rely on an SD card and I burnt it out <laughs> as well. I did not back it up and I had to recreate everything and I'm using mine on an Intel Nook also. Um, I also, I, what I like about Home Assistant, there's a lot of really crazy integrations. I want to hear what's your favorite integration that you have going on right now? Uh, favorite
0: one? in home, Specifically Home Assistant or just specifically, you know, it, it, Within your technology. smart home. Uh, the favorite integration. Hmm. What do i use the most um i think the environmentals really are the most useful um like temperature obviously temperature humidity like that server room use case those are definitely the most useful they're pretty cool but um definitely the most useful um uh there's support for powerwall and home assistant um, that one's pretty cool. So, I get all the uh, data on my power wall, which, uh, if you're not familiar with the Tesla power wall, it's got something called a Tesla energy gateway, which basically controls all the power going in and out of your home. So, I get mm-hmm. things like uh, total draw of the home, you know, both inbound and outbound to the grid, what the solar panels are generating, what's going into the battery, what's coming out of the battery, you know, an energy use per day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, that That's pretty cool. Um, The one I'm looking forward to that's going to go in very soon, uh, I'm doing some work on my pool and I'm upgrading the pool equipment. Um, In the US, I believe the company's called Jandy. Uh, Over here in Australia, it's uh, branded under Zodiac. They have some uh, smart. Uh, it's called iAqualink, uh, so it's all Wi-Fi-connected pool equipment. So I already have one of the pool robots, so that's probably one of the coolest pieces of, of home automation that I have. I can sit by the pool with a beer and watch the robot, you know, clean the pool for me. Um, but uh, on the treatment side, you know, um, acid feeder, pH readings, um it, the amount of chlorine in the water, uh, those types of things coming from the sensors on, on the, the smart pool equipment.
1: Which so I think what you're saying is I should, yeah, I should build a pool just so I can integrate into my smart <laughs> home. Then, right? That's, <laughs> yes, that's kind of the yes. point.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, like w- when I choose technology, and uh, you know, the first thing. I look for is, first of all, does it have an API on it? Like, can I get the data out of it? Um, and B, does it have a home assistant component already, right? I, I legit look at both of those when I buy some technology. As long as it has an API that ticks the box, if it doesn't have the home assistant component, it could be made. Um, if it doesn't have an API, if it can't get the data out, uh, it's not going in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so. Um, some other things, uh, you know, when I choose technology, um, I've got uh, the four S's that uh, I choose. So obviously the API is the make or break, right? Then I evaluate the technology based on my four S's, right? And these are in in order of importance. So first of all, safety. Um, I don't mm-hmm. want a piece of technology uh, causing a fire in my home. So obviously if it's something to do with, uh, electricity, you know, you know, we're 240 here. Um, you know, if it's anything to do with that, it's gotta be have the right certification, et cetera, et cetera. Um, also I've moved away from building my own things like, um, just because of that Um, i'm not saying it's a bad thing and people can't build safe things i just made a personal decision on that i i I don't monkey around with stuff like that so safety is number one Uh, i don't want any fires or anything like that or anybody getting zapped Um, two that are inherently linked but two s's is simplicity and supportability so simplicity somebody has to be able to walk into my home and be able to turn on a light without a smartphone (laughs) yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I can't have my parents come over and be like, how do I turn on the light in the bathroom? Right. Um, so, so that that's key as well. And very important. The supportability goes hand in hand. And with that, like if I'm away and yeah, Murphy's law states that everything will break when I'm away uh and then my wife has to deal with it um so supportability it has to be easy to support i.e., keep running it doesn't have to be rebooted or restarted all the time you know that, that those types of things um yep and and then last but not least it's funny this one's last but security um the reason why i put that one last is because Man, it's more important yeah, you can work around it, right? So, like, if, you know, I use, you know, just name another one, Ring, right? And a lot of people say, oh, my God, Ring is, like, you know, they're spying on you and blah, 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 right? Um, They've got 2FA now and all that, and, you know, I just don't put it in any personal areas of the host. But, you know, if somebody wants to see the palm trees you know, waving the wind wind in my side yard that that that's fine. Um, not that they would anyway, uh, but you can work around the security stuff. You can do DMZ type uh, networks. You know, um, so that's why it's last, but it's still consideration, right? Uh, yeah. So so yeah. So that's my four S's.
2: Now, I, you know, you applying those four S's. Then, what what's been the most challenging integration for you so far?
0: Uh well anything home kit, not uh, listen, I'm an Apple fanboy. I love Apple, like I have iPhones and Apple watches and everything. But HomeKit's hard, man. Like just mm-hmm. they they designed it with the four S's, but they put security first with, you know, the dedicated chip. I don't know if that's changed lately. Um mm-hmm. but it just makes it really hard, right? And it's not as open. So you know, not to pick on that, but that one's been hard. Obviously, Home Assistant has support to kind of get around that with HomeKit. Um, if you only have a couple of devices and you don't, you're not really technically strong, then HomeKit's awesome because they kind of make it easy. That's the Apple mantra. But mm-hmm. um, for for me, you know, wanting to play with lots of different things, it just it's it's been it's been hard with any of those devices. Um, yeah, so. So, yeah. Um, but generally, I can get around most of the stuff. Um, the other thing I, I made a, a conscious decision of is I'm not a voice activated person. I made that okay. conscious decision not to. Um, I just found that the technology there is is not where I feel like it's ubiquitous. Like the simplicity and supportability are there. Like I don't want some mm-hmm. device is asking me to repeat myself when I'm talking to my wife <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, so I haven't got there, y- there yet.
1: So are you using motion then instead of uh, voice? Or what are you I, using
0: for like your lights, for example? I, uh, lights are interesting. That's a whole other topic that that is really interesting that I spend a lot of time on. There's different standards out there for lights and what they use, right? So obviously the big, the big one around there is Philips Hue, right? Uh, Philips Hue uses Zigbee, which is an open standard. Um, the challenge with Zigbee is um, it overlaps onto the Wi-Fi spectrum. I found this out in my house in Sydney. Um, I was inner city. If you did a Wi-Fi scan in the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum, there was like so many access points everywhere, and they're all like effectively yelling at each other because everybody turns up the radios high and they're all on channel one or channel six. There's very few channels in Mm 2.4. Zigbee overlaps on the channel, I think it's 13. Um, So what I frequently found is like lights wouldn't turn on when I expected them to because there'd be interference. So that's a challenge of Zigbee. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's a challenge. So I made a mental decision that Zigbee wasn't my choice for internal lighting. However, on that one, a piece of technology I could not live without is Philips Hue outdoor lights. I have heaps of them. Um, so bollard lights, uh, uh, floodlights in the gardens. They're amazing. Waterproof, low voltage, you can run them yourself. So they're my go-to for outdoor, uh, for indoor I've, um, standardized on for the networking technology Z wave, uh, or I guess Z wave in the U (laughs) S. so, um, so, yeah, the, the the difference with Z-Wave is it runs on dedicated frequencies. So uh, a mental note there that you have to, uh, it's kind of a challenge, but also you have to remember it is every country is different. Um, so, like, I can't buy a Z-Wave device from the U.S., um, mm. because it's on different frequencies than it is here in Australia. In fact, it goes across our mobile cell cellular network. So literally the ACMA would probably turn up my house because, you know, I'm, you know, effectively broadcasting on a mobile frequency. Um, so you gotta be mindful of that when you buy it. Um, that aside, it's pretty awesome because it's on its own frequencies. It's meshed to like Zigbee. Um, but I find it's much more reliable. So I, I standardize standardized in that internally, um,
1: Dean, it's, it's funny that, that you're having issues with Zigbee versus Z wave or, or Z wave, as you like to call it, uh, down under, uh, because I'm having the exact opposite issues here where my Phillips Hue light to work very well, but I cannot get my Z wave controller to actually consistently, uh, get data or work with my Z wave devices at all. Now I'm about four or five and it's just, it's not working for me. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Is that, something that you've seen before or is it just my home, my home office or smart home just doesn't work?
0: (laughs) Well, it could be that the frequencies you use over in the US, i S I'm not familiar, Mm -hmm. uh, which they they may overlap, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, I know some of the garage door type frequencies are similar in some places um, like for the remotes and all that. Um, But I would suggest on the Z wave side, try and go single vendor. If you can, I don't know if the standards are that, well set like um so i i, I only use one vendor Aotech. um so and i haven't had a problem i'm not saying they're better than the others but maybe it's just because i've gone one vendor with it on the zigbee side i'm all philips hue so that that that's uh, easy as well um the philips hue by the way since i moved and i'm out of the inner city scenario it's been awesome right it's just that congestion in in that spectrum that's close close to um to ZigBee between Wi-Fi, so just have to be mindful of it. Uh, How you can tune around it is basically move your access points down in the 2.4 gigahertz channels to like 1 and 6 if you have Mm -hmm. multiple access points. Keep them away from the higher ones where ZigBee kind of overlaps.
1: Okay, now yeah. Kyle, I know you uh, you've done a lot with uh, smart homes and home automations. What's your favorite uh, integration that you've done with with yours?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I'm a little bit uh, I'm, I'm a little bit on the bench right now sitting it out since we're in an apartment right now. Uh, but in the states, um, when we had a house, uh, I actually installed a full irrigation system uh, in my yard. And following Dean's rules, too, I I tried to find an irrigation controller that didn't require a cloud subscription because I wanted the irrigation controller to be able to survive uh, or not use or not rely on any cloud instance. Uh, So I ended up going with a company called Rain Machine. And what I thought was really cool about this integration was uh, that it would forecast it would it would pull in the local forecasts and then water in anticipation of how much rain you would get that day so standard irrigation controllers would measure the rain that had already happened but this was forward looking on a forecast so then it wouldn't be watering your lawn and say an hour-long monsoon comes in the afternoon you know, know it would know hey i'm not gonna water there um yeah so that one i was really proud of uh but for one, that's pretty like entry level that we've done here in Australia. Uh, Logitech makes a Harmony Hub that's pretty slick, mm-hmm. and uh, you can tie that in. Uh, so we use we use Echoes. Um, and, uh, you can tie that in with the echo and have your voice assistant turn on and off the Apple TV and the TV and the soundbar and all that. So that's been real fun to like, you know, you're getting up to go to bed or something. You can just, you're not having to look for the remote. You can just tell your home assistant or your, your voice assistant to turn on and off. But yeah, yeah, those are my two, uh, so, <laughs> achieving moments. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it uh, it, uh, makes, uh, it makes money. Yeah.
0: Kyle, yeah, did, go ahead. I, did I tell you I put in my machine?
2: no i didn't know
0: that <laughs> i did the exact same research That's too funny and same criteria i didn't want cloud uh control yeah i put one in about four months ago it's a 16 zone one uh um, oh, it's freaking amazing like you know yeah it controls low uh low pressure garden systems and uh the higher pressure pop-ups um yeah. in the in the lawn um yeah it works really well
2: yeah. Man, I did the exact same thing. We had our entire front and backyard and garden beds and the pop-up sprinklers. And yeah, the, it, it it's so cool.
0: <laughs> there's a cool no. story about that, about uh, why it's good to be able to get data out of things. So one flaw I noticed is it wouldn't tell me um, how much water was being used per zone. Mm. So I have a flow sensor on mine. Like it has leak detection and all that, but it wouldn't tell me per zone. So um, I basically, there's a Home Assistant integration for Rain Machine, comes into Home Assistant. um, And then I've integrated Home Assistant with Splunk. So basically anything that goes into Home Assistant goes out to Splunk. Um, Mm. Now, here's a great use case. Um, Once it gets into Splunk, I can do... Uh, analytics on a per zone basis and start doing that you know how much water was used in this zone over this time you know and and Mm -hmm. basically correlating all that data it's pretty cool um so yeah great use case there
1: yeah it's a lot more noble than my use case which is uh trying to integrate dominoes into my uh, smart home. So, whenever I am watching TV on a Friday night, it sends me a pizza. Uh, it's actually, I'm worried that-, that one day I'm gonna have like 50 pies come to my house. So, uh, it, it's a work in progress. It's not. There's no confidence behind it yet. But that's is funny. that
2: your most proud uh, home automation you've got, or do you have another one? I, I think my favorite part of that, and, and actually, I, I turned off that that portion of the Domino's
1: one because I'm I am worried that I'm gonna break something and I'm just gonna get all these pizzas showing up, but. Uh, using Ift, uh, you can actually do when, when the pizza is put into the oven, uh, in Domino's, my lights in my den will, they're all Phillips hue will turn red. And so I'll know when the pizza is being baked because the lights will turn red. I'm oh, pretty, gosh. I'm pretty proud of that. I've only used it once. I, I it's kind of hard to experiment to make sure it's working because every time you do it, you have to order a pizza. Uh, but I have, I, I, I've played with it and it did work eventually. So, uh, it was a very, uh, Delicious and, and satisfying win for the smart home community there. <laughs> now, Dean, uh, what is next on your roadmap? Like, what's the next thing that you want to automate in your home?
0: Well, you know, I'll finish the pool stuff, as I said, so that, you know, the smart pool equipment, um, but the, really the next thing is building uh, more complex automations between it. Uh, so I'll give you a great example. I have a smart uh, garage door opener. Uh, it's called iSmartGate. Um, and basically allows me to, you know, either from home kid or home assistant, open and close the garage door, Mm -hmm. but building, uh, you know, I'll use some of my security background from the Splunk side, notable events for a home, right? A notable event would be, um, a combination of events that happens that you want, that you feel is notable. So a notable event would be garage door is open and I'm not home and my wife isn't home, right? I want Mm -hmm. to know. Right. So maybe right. I click close and I drove away and the garage door came down. You know how sometimes something will walk through the sensor yep. or, you know, whatever. And it goes back up and I don't realize it. I want to know about that. So that's sort of the next phase is, is building those notable events um, where some smarts, some true smarts into the home automation. So you can take some of that worry away. Right. Um, right. You can do it with all. If you've got all this data, you can do all sorts of really cool things, right? Like looking at power draw or temperatures, or you know, and and how it knows if I'm home is basically, you know, I don't go anywhere without my phone. Um, there's a there's a component for Unify in um, in Home Assistant, so I can see mm-hmm. if Dean's iPhone is home, right? Um, so so that's really the next phase is to take it to that next level to uh, offer some more intelligence uh, in it.
2: Yeah. Now uh, you've got a pretty complex setup. Like I, I feel like you've achieved like sensei status of the home <laughs> location, uh area. Uh, if, if for our cus our our listeners, what what piece of advice would you give them to get started? Like, so if someone's starting out, what would you? What's your what's your one piece of advice to help them dip their toes into this?
0: I guess you have to like anything. Pick a problem you want to solve. Like my Christmas tree you know, start that you had the same start, you know, it's, you don't want to plug those lights in every night and unplug them. So pick a problem that you want to solve and, you know, try to solve it in the simplest way possible. And I guess back to the network, make sure you have a good Wi-Fi network, whatever you choose, technology you choose, because if, if it sucks, everything else is going to suck on top of that. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, pick a good problem to solve and uh, have fun with it. So um, I guess guess the other tip, and I'll go back to it, is the supportability. If it if it annoys everybody in the household because it breaks all the time, uh, you're not going to get very <laughs> you're not going to get very far. So that's that's been a big focus of late to try and get get the um, uptime and 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 issues uptime up and issues down. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm actually dealing with that issue right now where I started putting wise motion sensors in all my rooms as the trigger for lights going on and off at night. Uh, and then they would stop relatively around the time that I go to bed. Uh, but then I realized that two 80-pound chocolate labs will trigger those sensors. And so for a couple of nights until I could figure out how to rework it, every couple of minutes, I would just have the lights going on in my kitchen, my living room, like they were, as they were running around the house while I was trying to sleep. So yeah, supportability and sustainability is uh, important.
0: How do you find the latency on those? Because that's you know a lot of the smart lighting with um, mm-hmm. sensors and stuff. You know, a half a second or a second may not seem like a lot, but it is when you walk into a room.
1: Right? It's yeah. not even that. It it is instantaneous. I, I am also awesome. blown away with how how great those work. And I'm a huge huge fan of the wise motion sensors to the lights. Uh, and then I just started creating um, input booleans in, in Home Assistant where if I if it's time for bed, I just say hey. Google, it's bedtime, and that's now enacted, and all the motion sensors no longer trigger the light. So uh, really cool. a big fan of the, that, that product. And that's kind of where I'm going with my smart home now. Well, Dean, it's been so awesome having you on to the Big Data Beard podcast to talk about smart homes and connected devices. It's just incredible what you've done uh, with your own home and the experience that you share and what you uh, give back to the community. Obviously, Kyle and I both kind of got into this because of uh, uh, learning from you. So thank you so much for for being on the podcast. You know, we got to hear a little bit about what you've done with with. Smart Home, but we want to learn a little bit more about you personally, so we're going to transition to a portion of our podcast that we like to call Rapid Fire.
0: We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment
2: we like to call Rapid Fire. First question, what book would you recommend to our listeners right now? Oh,
0: what book? I only read PDFs. (laughs) <laughs> i can't remember the last time i read a book uh, my wife bought me an elon musk book that i haven't read yet so i would probably <laughs> recommend that because uh, i think he's pretty cool and a great story so i'd recommend that but uh yeah i'm a pdf kind of guy so.
2: okay so elon musk book or technical docos yep <laughs> yeah okay second question uh, what song would you choose to be your walk up music for your next speaking engagement?
0: Ooh what song? Um jeez, that these are hard ones, man. Like I have to I think know.
2: about this. We're next level, man. Um Young Folks. Young Folks. Who is that? I've, I've never p- heard of that before. No, I've, I've, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. All right. It's all right. just questioning suggestion. Okay. Cool. Uh, third question: What TV shows have you been binging on?
0: Ooh, that's a good one.
2: Um,
0: I know this one's been out for a while. I binged on Ozark. Uh oh. watched that quite. You know, start to finish. The other one, uh, a bit more edgy, uh, White Lines.
2: White Lines. I haven't. Uh, I haven't even Nef- heard of that one.
0: Both on Netflix. White Lines, a bit more edgy, uh, but it's pretty good. Uh, so okay. I highly recommend that one.
2: Yeah, I, I I loved Ozark. Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah. Um, okay, so the antithesis to this question, then, what has been the most productive thing you've done during COVID quarantine?
0: Oh, most productive thing? Probably um, gotten a lot of gardening done. yeah uh so i make a real effort and splunk really pushes this with us to take breaks right like Mm. um, sitting down in front of zoom eight hours a day you know or 10 hours a day or whatever is just not sustainable so regularly take breaks and you know everybody does those in different ways my one of my ways is to step up and go outside and get my hands dirty for a period of time and get away from technology and, and then go back to it. And you know, you're better when you go back, right? You're refreshed and it's good balance. So that that's been productive.
1: Have you done any of the plant or gardening integrations with home assistant?
0: Well, yeah. So the rain machines done. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that that's in there. Um, I guess what else could I do with it? There's an interesting so
1: plants, like a home assistant plant integration. I, I, I don't have a backyard, so I, I haven't used it, but I looked at it a few times. It seems like, uh, that would be right up your alley. I would check that out.
0: Yeah. Like maybe, uh, moisture sensors. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, find like Kyle known this the rain machine is really good at knowing how much mm. water to put down. So, yeah. um, so yeah, um, probably some, uh, computer vision I would do outside at some point to Ooh. in, in the front, in the front, Um, you know, that'd be kind of cool project. Yeah. I actually want to totally side topic. Sorry, I go on tangents. I want to do that with, um, uh, with my model three, there is a fella who posted a project online. It's called Tesla scout. Uh, if you just Google it, um, basically puts, uh, Nvidia GPU based, uh, box in your model three and takes a feed from the cameras and does computer vision on it to do license plate recognition, car recognition, and things like that. So you can get oh, analytics cool. on, I don't know the legalities of this, but analytics on, um, you know, what cars are driving near you over time, right? Mm, yeah. It's that's kind of interesting. Slick. Yeah, yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah, this transitions well into our next question. What's your favorite piece of technology right now?
0: <laughs> well, my car. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, by far. First E V ownership by far is my favorite piece of because I would call that 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 machine a piece of technology.
2: Oh, it's uh, incredible.
0: Yeah, like it's just amazing. Um but um yeah, so the car and then probably lately the rain machine's been kind of fun. Um yeah. so, because you know this, right? It's just a fun little device to play with, but yeah, definitely the car because it's a data powerhouse. Um, yeah, that thing.
2: <laughs> we did a uh, a spotlight on Chris Burnham's car uh, out of Birmingham. So he's an IoT specialist at Splunk. Yeah, and uh, he let us test drive his uh, Model X last year on the road trip to Conf, and it was it was pretty awesome. So yeah, we uh, we had a blast. Now. Actually, that transitions well into the next question. My favorite trip of 2019 was the road trip to Kampf that we did. Uh, What was your favorite trip of 2019?
0: Oh, well, that was the same trip to... uh go see all comp? my friends. Yeah. To comp. Um, I always love that event because, um, obviously you get to see a lot. I've made a lot of friends across the world, mm. um, both through Splunk and through EMC when I worked at EMC and, and, and you know, I just get to catch up. It's awesome. Uh, awesome event. And yeah, that, that was a great trip. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. what you guys did was amazing. Like, I it s- oh, still sticks out.
2: <laughs> we try and be IoT level cool like Dean Jackson, you know, so we're, <laughs> we're achieving your status of coolness. Yeah. Final <laughs> question for you. Where can our audience find you on social? Uh,
0: okay. That's an interesting story. Um, so in the last couple of years, I've taken a step back from social media. I'm still on social media, but definitely not very active. I made a conscious decision that it was impacting my life too much. Um, You know, I was just spending too much time on it and too much effort and not being in the here and now. Um, So so probably Twitter is the best um, way to get at me, like, you you know, get me on there or LinkedIn as well. I kind of maintain those. I'm completely off Facebook, Um, haven't used it in years. Um, So yeah, it's just been a conscious, I feel better for it. And it's just a personal decision. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, perfect, man. Awesome. Well, Dean, thank you so much for uh, joining us for episode one of season seven of Big Data Beard. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you later on.
0: Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast.